Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One and all, here we are again, and you are very welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and I'm joined in the studio today by two brilliant crime writers. My first guest is a Sunday Times bestseller who's published 12 novels, and her last, Our House, won the Crime Book of the Year Award at the British Book Industry Awards. Get her. Her 13th novel, Those People, has just been published to Louise Candlish. Welcome to Book Off. Thank you for having me. Lovely to see you. And my second guest has sold over two million books since publishing his first novel in 2013, topping the bestseller list several times with his other titles. His new novel, Here to Stay, was published to great acclaim in September. Mark Edwards, hello. Hello. You made it on the trains. I did, yeah, all the way from Wolverhampton. Oh, it's (laughs) lovely to have you here. Yes. And in one piece. Yeah. And not too jaded by the transport. No. <laughs> well, it was fine. I got here in the end. Let's not go yes. down that yeah. rabbit hole. No, let's not start Yeah, I used to work on the complaints line for a rail company oh, years God. ago. So You don't want I'm, to start on the other end of it. I know, I've still got PTSD from working there. <laughs> really? Oh my God. Were you assaulted? No, I'm j- I mean... Mentally, yeah, also. No. just as mental yeah, no. yeah. yeah, many times. <laughs> and the last time we were all together, and in fact, how this podcast has come about with you two on it is that we uh, did a little event at Capital Crime. Well, it wasn't at Capital Crime; it was the launch of mm. the festival Capital Crime, yes. um, which you were both in attendance of. Um, but we sort of realised that you have a lot of similarities in your writing, in your books, and. We all sort of got on well. So here we are again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think it will come out that, you know, those those slight similarities, especially in your latest novels, will um, will show parallels. So if I could start by talking about those brilliant books, which I devoured before that event and, and still think about, actually. Uh, Louise, your latest, Those People, as I said, your 13th, I believe, um, set in a suburban paradise. So I wondered if you could tell us about that lovely... South London Street, where it's set, and about the two neighbours who move in. Um, The book came out of um, my research for Our House, which was about property fraud. And when I was researching, I kept coming across stories about neighbourhood feuds and vendettas 
And um, it just seemed like every second person had had a problem with bad neighbours and I could see that there was a you know really good dark story to be had. So I've devised this community, Lowland Way, where, um, as you say, it's a suburban paradise. There are um, various sets of neighbours whose story we follow and they have, they feel like pioneers in this area. It's a kind of fictitious um, neighbourhood in, in South London. And they have um, created and landscaped a world exactly as they want it to be, perfect for families. Um, every Sunday, they persuade the whole street to move their cars so that their delightful kiddies can run out and play the old-fashioned way, you know, skipping and hopscotch and um, whatever kids used to do before screens. Um, so everything is absolutely fine. But one Friday, and this is where the story starts, um, Ralph, who's the kingpin of the street, drives home and um, discovers new neighbours have moved in on the corner house. And they are Darren and Jody. And they immediately, from the get-go, start breaking the rules. I loved the fact that <laughs> although they this perfect street and all the neighbours that are, that are so lovely seemingly, in the beginning, are still quite annoying, aren't they? Oh, in, yes. In... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I was reading, 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 thinking, <laughs> oh, that's nice, yeah, oh, lovely community, lovely. And then, you know, when it gets to sort of the car parking bit and it's all a bit holier than thou, I was like, mm. oh, come on, you know. No, absolutely. Well, I kind of want to, I mean, I don't know actually know whether I've succeeded, but what I wanted to do was have the reader both sort of shaking with fury at what the neighbours are having to experience and slightly starting to doubt who they should be rooting for here. Yes. Because the, yeah. the residents are loathsome in a completely different way. <laughs> it's so true. And the crimes that Darren and Jody commit, by the end of the book, you know, they are not the worst criminals. Mm. And so what I was hoping for, well, there's not a there's not an epiphany for the reader to have. There's, there's not a sort of um, strict moment of realisation. But uh, hopefully there's this kind of creeping sense that the paths have crossed and actually the good guys are starting to behave a lot worse than the bad guys. Yeah, you absolutely they're, achieved that. They're oh, very thank you. In, they're very entitled, aren't they? They're really yes, entitled. they're really entitled. They're That's the really word. pleased yeah. with yeah. themselves. They're smug. <laughs> they're so they're smug. smug. Yeah. yeah. They're almost like it's almost like a uh, a metaphor for Brexit Britain. <laughs> you promised you wouldn't do that. You said you weren't going to do <laughs> that. But it's like you've got the metropolitan elite and the or the intellectual elite as they would see themselves, and then these kind of <laughs> interlopers coming in and bashing up this this perfect world that they've that they've created for themselves it's true and, they, and they're and they invaders aren't they yeah. yeah 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 exactly and similarly in your book but I, and we've talked before about um, a trump parallel because what jody and darren do is um it's not that they're breaking rules um either those of the residents or the council they're not acknowledging that such a thing as a rule exists mm, they're yeah. just living in a bubble of of their own kind of entitlement i'm yeah. entitled to drill at midnight if I like. I'm entitled to have a party where drugs are done and, you know, paraphernalia is left for children to find the next day because that's what I fancy doing. So, um, so yes, there are parallels, aren't yeah. there, with society. <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and Mark, in, in your new book, which is called Here to Stay, it tackles one of the most shocking things, I think, that, you know, anyone can experience really in life. Uh, and that is that the in-laws oh, come to stay. Yes. And then they, they sort of overstay they're welcome. So can you tell us about Elliot and Gemma and her strange family? Yes. So Elliot is uh, is a nice guy. He lives on his own in, with his cat in this lovely house <laughs> in South London that he's, that he's restored himself. But he's a bit lonely. 
and wants someone to share his life with. And then he meets Gemma. They have a whirlwind romance and get married. And uh, the day they get back from their honeymoon, um, she asks whether her parents and sister, who've been living in France, can come and stay just for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and he wants to he wants to make her happy, and so he says yes. And then they turn up. And everything starts to go wrong almost from the minute when they they arrive. And I didn't want to kind of take the the stereotypical uh, 70s stand-up comedian, take my mother-in-law kind of thing. (laughs) My mother-in-law? Let me tell you about my mother-in-law. Yeah, no. Um, but I want, but it's about like Louise's book. It's about interlopers coming into this this kind of paradise, mm. storming the the barbarians, storming the mm. gates of the Englishman's castle. <laughs> and um, it starts quite innocently, though, doesn't it? With them sort of yeah. cut, leaving toenail clippings. It, it starts, yeah, it starts <laughs> not, not with, stacking the dishwasher, yeah, not, <laughs> not flushing the toilet, and locking the cat out of the cat flap, and drinking his. Well, his best wine that he's had for years. Oh, that's goes the that's, yeah, part. that really hurts. <laughs> that really yeah. tore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that wine bottle does make an appearance again later in the in the book. I just I thought there are lots of films and books about people going to stay with their in laws or their mm. new family and horrible things happening, like in Get Out or in comedy like Meet the Parents. And I thought it'd be more powerful to actually have the the family moving in yeah. and they're right there and 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 as Elliot finds out it's incredibly difficult legally to get people out of your house if you if they don't want to go have you uh, ever had an experience like that with your in-laws or no. do you in good terms <laughs> <laughs> no i mean this is the question that everyone asked me as soon as i said i was writing a book about my in-laws is it is it based on your real mother and father in law? That I, would be such a dangerous yeah, thing to I do. Know. Did you tell him before before it came out that it was a? I t- yeah, as soon as I started writing it, I told my mother in law, and she thinks it's hilarious. Um, but it is actually slightly based on something that happened in my family, but with my well, I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't actually say who mm, it is. Mm. But it's someone in the extended family. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. He. This. This guy. They won't recognise themselves. People never do. No. I know. I know. And I'm sure they probably don't listen to <laughs> to sophisticated podcasts. No. Like this quite one. right. No. <laughs> probably not. Mark. No. <laughs> this guy who must be in his late thirties, I would think, um, still lived lived at home with his parents and got married, moved his wife in with the in-laws with her in-laws and then within two months we'd heard that she was moving out and they were getting divorced and the marriage was over because apparently she'd had such a terrible time that the that her new mother and father-in-law and her sister-in-law because they all lived together in this house they they'd made her life such a living hell that she she couldn't take it anymore and and he basically sided with his parents and now they're divorced. It's wow. the ultimate pressure it. cooker because I, um, yeah. I'm, I find that fascinating because one of the things that I wanted to explore in in those people is how marriages often mm. aren't particularly tested. Yeah, and yeah. Um, as soon as they're tested, you <laughs> yeah. see the real strength or weakness, yeah. and and you know the fractures start to appear. And this is exactly yeah. what you're describing. They would yeah. had they not had that pressure cooker yeah. experience, they'd probably still be together and you, now. And, and things like traditional gender roles kind of come into it, don't they? So like the man is expected to go round and confront the neighbours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're a little bit wimpy, like um, 
Elliot in my book, or like me. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to go round and cause a fuss with the neighbours. And, and you've got somebody shouting, telling you you're being a wimp because you're not dealing with this situation. It's interesting, isn't yeah, it, how, how yeah. women do you, do you fall back on those sorts of convenient sort of assumptions? Oh I know. Because it's not a fun task, is it? It's like putting the bins out. I mean, mm. you know, who wants to do that? Make the man do it. <laughs> yeah, but because I, I wrote a book, I wrote a book about neighbours from hell as well, the magpies. I know, I and, know, um, and that was based on a real experience that I had with these awful people who lived downstairs from me, and they were just constantly complaining, saying that we were making noise, basically just walking around in the flat, and we would get letters, like really strange letters, and. They would complain about the sounds of the toilet brush thrashing around in the pan. <laughs> and, um, they must have had hyper hearing. Yeah, I know. Because that is extraordinary yeah. levels of hearing, isn't it? And they would put, they used to send us hoax parcels. They'd sign us up to book clubs. Oh, you know, my like word. in the 90s, you had these yeah. book clubs like QPD. Yeah. We and were always... Britannia Music. Do you remember that? Yeah. We used to get a new CD every <laughs> yeah. month. Yeah, yeah. 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 Didn't like you say that. that they put a rat on the doorstep? There no, were, well, that was in, in the book, wasn't it? In the it? book, yeah. yeah I'm, there, we did find a rat, but we think it was their cat rather than them leaving it there. They used to put cigarette butts under our door and um, and just, but it was mainly like banging on the ceiling and just constantly being, you'd go outside and they'd kind of be there and they were quite big and threatening. How it's awful. mad, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I yeah, really living in flats is a whole other, yeah. other thing. I mean, I'm, I live in a terraced house and, and there are issues. And yeah. I had a bad neighbour myself, um, a DIY fanatic. And um, <laughs> he just, I just don't think he realised quite how loud it mm. was. Because that we were only separated by one, you know, one um, set of bricks, mm-hmm. really. I know. Um, but in flats, it's another level. Yeah. And it? it's quite easy to be a bad neighbour as well, yeah. because we've got a dog who quite often barks. If somebody comes around or something, she'll yeah. bark in the night or she'll yeah. bark in the morning. And our neighbours hate dogs. So they're constantly coming around and complaining about the dog barking. And But there's nothing that we can do about it. We can't stop her barking. No, and that, things we, that irritate them yeah, wouldn't irritate you. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard, and, yeah. and no one ever recognises themselves as a bad neighbour, no. I have found in my research. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a bit like we all think we're good drivers, and yet it's, you know, how oh, come I, there's I three million speeding yeah. tickets? Yeah, the, I, I mean, think it's, the driver from hell could be the next. Is that the next, yeah. the next idea for the book, maybe? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Road rage was, was Road an obsession of mine. That's in our house. It's, um, mm. it's all of these things, I guess we're both interested in, aren't we, Mark, mm. of um, the things that bring out the worst yeah, in us. Yeah, I know. And and that, that fear of what happens when civilization breaks down or people yeah. don't follow the rules mm. or, yeah, they don't play the game the way they're, they're meant to. <laughs> yeah. Um, it feels and, so safe and yet actually we're always, yeah. you know, really just a very thin line away mm. from things breaking down and it really yeah. is very frightening. What is it about you know, these domestic situations, though, houses in particular, thinking about both of your books and and sort of these slightly, you know, paradise settings, everything's fine. What is it about that and then an intrusion or a disruption of it that we love so much as readers? Because this slightly overused term, domestic noir, has really taken off Mm. recently and it's so popular now. And I just wondered if you had a thought on why that was or, you know, why you particularly wanted to write that way? 
Well, I think that um, your everyone should feel entitled to be safe and relatively tranquil in their home. And I think that, you know, the world is quite a bewildering place mm. at the moment. And so the one place you should be able to count on is, you know, your spot on the sofa with your book or Netflix and, you know, whatever your favourite snack is and your family and friends around you. And I think that's almost now our only safe harbour. And um, and so to threaten that in fiction is so frightening, much much more frightening than it should be, really, because we're just we can all identify with mm. it. It's universal, and we all um, you know can imagine the horror very easily. Imagine the horror of going home and dreading putting your key in the door for whatever mm. reason. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I I agree. It's about things that are familiar or that readers can identify with and put themselves in the in the shoes of the of the the characters in the books um and yeah so it's a kind of escapism that isn't like pure james bond-esque <laughs> escapism it's something that that you can really imagine happening to you and i guess we like playing out these these situations in our heads or acting them out yeah um and thinking about what you would do in that situation. But they're not usually having some kind of resolution in the book that doesn't necessarily happen in real life. So there's also, there must be a sort of, uh, thank God it's not me moment to the reader as well. You know, being able to essentially... Yeah. watch what's happening, read, but, you know, yeah. see see this story play yeah. out, but knowing yeah. from, like you say, Louise, their spot on the sofa, happy, mm. whilst it's all happening on the pages. Yeah, you know? well, there, but for the grace of God. I mean, it just yeah. feels like you're, you know, you're so close to that. And, and again, that kind of fantasy of, um, you know, that we've all had. I mean, when I had my bad neighbour, I won't say his name, <laughs> I was really shocked by how quickly I went from being a bit irritated to actually fantasising about him being electrocuted <laughs> yeah. on his t- And so I think that we all have that kind of fantasy of, you know, a vigilante fantasy as well. And, you you know, in books like ours, you Mm. can you can really explore that. Yeah, there's a lot of suppressed rage. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, resolution you will get in fiction, if not necessarily justice. You you don't usually get justice in my books. Or at least you might get a bittersweet justice. Would you say there's justice to be had in Here to Stay for the reader? Mm. Well, kind of, yeah. It's really hard to talk about without spoilers. Yeah, there you is, don't want to give yeah, anything away. I really. know, I know. There is some kind of justice at the end, but it's not. Nobody survives with their soul completely <laughs> intact. Right. Oh, that's quite that. a good way. Of Brilliant. It, yeah, absolutely. But you know, Elliot, I, I really sort of loved Elliot because he's such a nice yeah, character. He's such yeah. a, a nice human. And the slight difference being, Louise, as I said, you know, initially I thought, oh. What a lovely street, what a nice idea that they do mm. this. And they all agreed that their children should play in the street on a Sunday and it should be cleared and that they've all got their own. But the the sort of creeping, <laughs> how cleverly you creep these little things in, these little characteristics and and and, and ticks and things that you that make you go, oh, oh no, you know. Oh. Yes. Um, so it's, it's a sort of a, a more of a slow burn, I'd say, over time where... Where you you start going, oh no, I'm not sure about this. Whereas in yours, Mark, it's it's a bit more sudden when they mm. arrive. I would think. And as you say, Elliot like, is is likable. Yeah. And my my uh, my victims in inverted commas 
aren't particularly likable or they might be for a couple of chapters, but then they start to gradually show their their flaws. And I really admire you, Mark, for being able to to sustain a likable character successfully, which you really do in this book, because mm. it's very hard. Um, I find it almost impossible to to write a likable character. <laughs> My characters are always, I mean, I think because I'm quite attracted to flaws mm. and you know i'm not I, my idea of beauty is not really conventional and so um so i do find it hard to gain that wholehearted sympathy i mean there will always be that sort of slight distance with my mm. characters where you can kind of see their point of view but you wouldn't do it like that necessarily no yeah. but that's great though isn't it that because that's that's your style and that's mm. how you approach it and i had a chat quite recently with a friend of mine who, who was talking about a book and she said um yeah, but I didn't really like it that much because, you know, there was didn't didn't like any of the characters. And I said, you don't have to like characters mm. to like a book. No. And she was like, oh, I do. But I'm not, you know, that's funny, isn't it? Because yeah, I don't, that's I a don't personal personally. Taste. But, yeah. um, no, often the most interesting, I mean, my book that I'm going to talk about later is probably the most unlikable <laughs> character <laughs> ever. <laughs> but um, but somebody, are, they are the most interesting often. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, somebody like Liz Nugent, um, her books like Skin Deep mm. or Sabine Durrant, um, they're writing similar kind of books to us. Yeah. And they have very twisted characters who you you wouldn't want to be friends with. <laughs> no. But they're, they're fascinating to spend time with. And it goes back to people like Ripley, the Patricia Highsmith yeah. character. The anti-hero, yeah. Yeah, or like the, my favourite book is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And all of those characters are deeply flawed, but you still like love kind of spending 600 pages. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, you don't yeah. mind spending time with them. Mm. Or in, in the case of many people rereading that book to go yeah. back and see it again yeah. Yeah. and spend more time with them. Yeah. And sometimes so, I think true. you can tell that authors have enjoyed writing <laughs> their evil characters yeah. <laughs> um, more yeah. than their good characters and you get yeah. that exuberance of the writing and, and I know that I, I mm. look forward to the chapters when it's uh, it's one of my you know darker characters. Mm. It's just fun. It's just much yeah. more fun to yeah. write than to try and think, oh, what would a a very morally upright person do in this situation. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely, definitely more fun. I mean, there's a few chapters written from the point of view of the uh, of Jeff, the father-in-law oh, yes. of this book, and those were definitely the best, the most fun parts yeah, to write. To write yeah. Yeah. He's a real piece of work, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. He's yeah, not allowed anywhere near my yeah. dishwasher or pets. And it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's because and it also it kind of allows you sometimes to say things that you're not you wouldn't normally say or think things that yes, you wouldn't normally yes. think to kind of inhabit that. Mm. that That's um, the joy of writing fiction. There's yeah. stuff that we can say through our characters that we mm. would be lynched probably if it yeah. was in a straight journalistic piece. I yeah. think, especially now mm. where there's such a. Uh, you know, we're in an era of new sort of censorship, aren't we, yeah, really? Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, but fiction <laughs> seems to somehow still be allowed to flout the rules, thank God. And long may that continue. Yeah. yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Right, well, it's time for the book off now. With This is where each of you is going to pitch us a book that you absolutely love and you think we should all read if we haven't already. And you'll get three minutes each to do so. You don't have to use your three minutes, Mm -hmm. but when we reach those three, if you're still talking, I'm either going to be... Ringing you out or uh, giving you a little shake. <laughs> or both. Uh, so before we decide, or both maybe, before we decide who goes second, uh, first or second, and who gets honked or rung, uh, let's just find out which books you've brought. Mark, you mentioned The Secret History, but that's not no, the book you've brought. No, it would brought. have been that one, but one of your previous guests chose that. Tracy, Tracy Thorne yeah. got in your way there. Uh, okay. no. yeah, I wondered no. if you ever had any overlaps. I don't know if we have had an overlap yet. Yet, no. But so this, what have you gone for Well, this, it's, this book is related because he, the author of this book, was at college with Donatar in the same class, in ah. fact. And the characters from The Secret History appear in one of his other novels, The Rules of Attraction. So I've chosen American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. Wow, that's a very controversial good, uh, choice. <laughs> a very controversial <laughs> choice. But I like the way you've woven it into mm. the Donna Tart connection. They're very yeah. good. And uh, Louise, what have you brought for the book off? I am going to try and weave in a connection as well because my author is from the same era, but rather than being one of the Brat Pack mm. authors that you're mentioning, he was already... Um, an established figure gadding around town in a white suit and a nice hat. And he is, of course, Tom Wolfe. And I was going to choose Bonfire of the Vanities and I knew that Mark had chosen American Psycho and they kind of, that really would be a, a book off, wouldn't it? Because yeah, that's, yeah. you know, they they are companion pieces for, mm. the, for the 80s and 90s. Um, but I thought probably everyone had already read Bonfire of the Vanities. So I have chosen I Am Charlotte Simmons, which is Tom Wolfe's novel from 2004. Great. Well... I'm really looking forward to hearing what you say about these two books. So we just need to decide who goes first and who goes second. So, Louise, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. You'll go first. And, Mark, would you like the uh, bell when your time is up or would you like the old horn? The bell, please. The bell for you. <laughs> which I means, love how uh, you knew that straight away, <laughs> like you premeditated. <laughs> that means, I Louise, you're going to get a bit yeah. of that. Okay. okay? All right. If I even can reach three minutes. Well, if you know, you, yeah. don't, you don't have to use them all. Okay. It's totally fine. I'm known for being very succinct. <laughs> but I'm putting three <laughs> minutes on the clock anyway for you, Louise, to tell us about I Am Charlotte Simmons. Over to you. So, I'm Charlotte Simmons. When I described this um, this podcast to my husband yesterday and the book, 
I got to the end of three minutes without actually mentioning Charlotte Simmons, which will give you an idea of the sheer breadth of amazing characters in this very, very, very special book. Um, so I'll start with Charlotte Simmons in case I forget her. She, This is a campus novel, which is my favourite genre. Tom Wolfe is my favourite author. And so to get the two of them together is a dream come true. I've read it probably three or four times, and I'll certainly read it again. And I think everyone should read it. It's a snapshot of um, life in an elite university at the turn of the millennium. <laughs> Charlotte Simmons is an innocent girl from a North Carolina mountain town. She is a virgin. She doesn't like swearing. She's um, got a full scholarship to this elite university. Um, and when she arrives, she expects it to be an experience about scholarship and intellectualism and learning and sharing of ideas. And what she discovers is um, a sort of carnival, not unlike something from a Brett Easton Ellis novel, mm. where um, it's all about sex. It's all about partying. It's all about entitled behaviour. No one is um, particularly interested in, in academic life at all. She chooses courses that she finds interesting and she turns up and it turns out to be um, a kind of rocks for jocks experience. Um, and we follow we follow three men who are romantically interested in Charlotte. And one is um, your typical frat boy um, preppy guy who expects to become an investment banker the moment he he leaves college. He's called Hoyt Thorpe. And he is a hilarious character, and I think that Tom Wolfe probably just had a ball writing him. We also have Jojo, who um, is constantly referred to as a white giant. He's the only white player in the basketball team, and through him we explore the themes of, um, you know, athletic uh, athletes being stars on the campus. And then the third guy is called Adam, and he is our moral compass, if the book has one at all. Um, and he is he is interested in his academic life. And he um, also um, admires Charlotte. So she must choose um, between these three men or, or none of them. Um, meanwhile, there's a fantastic plot about a brewing scandal. So we, the book opens with one of the best openings of any book, where Hoyt and his friend um, Vance, I think he's called, um, they come across a governor um, having a sex act performed on him <laughs> just before he's about to speak at the commencement party. <laughs> what a way, what to, a way end to end. end. <laughs> and what a way to start. What a way to end. I've written sex act yeah. in, quite, in quite big letters here. Like, was, um, it, was, that, was it written before or after the Clinton? It must have been after. after. Yeah. 2004. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you probably wrote it in... 2003, maybe, if it can. Yeah, yeah well, he, so? Tom Wolfe took about 10 years to write a novel. Yeah. Oh, right. So okay, he would, so he would, he would, have would certainly have started in <laughs> yeah. the Clinton era. Yeah. That is a fabulous pitch, Louise, and um, we'll come back and talk a bit more about that book shortly. But you get mm. to have a little breather now and finish your coffee. <sighs> Thank because, you. Because uh, we're putting three minutes yeah. back on the clock okay. for you, Mark, all right? All right, hang on. Before you... I, I've got notes, so... You can, you can have notes. to read my own handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's funny. It's funny how people, um, different people, approach this. Mm. You know, I see that you've both brought the actual books yeah. in. Some people like doing that. Some people have their notes. Some people don't bring anything. And they're just sort of so. You know, you, yeah. you're absolutely fine okay. with your notes. All right. Um, so it's three minutes on okay. the clock, Mark, to tell us about American Psycho. Okay. So American Psycho starts with abandon all hope, ye who enter here, and ends with this is not an exit. And in between, you're taken on a ride in the mind of a madman. 
a journey into consumer culture pushed to its absolute bloody limit. <laughs> Patrick Bateman works in inverted commas because he never actually seems to do anything <laughs> uh, on Wall Street. He's privileged, rich, handsome and psychotic, obsessed with status, grooming products, getting a table at Dorcia, which is the trendiest <laughs> restaurant in town, uh, and <laughs> pornography and serial killers. Um, and the book is its famous for its violence. And it's got horrific graphic scenes of torture and murder of women, men, children and dogs. Uh, and those scenes are very challenging, to say the least. Um, and I felt a kind of lurch of dread whenever I encountered a chapter which was entitled Girls or something similar. Um, but it's also a very funny book. Um, as long as you've got the stomach for dark humour. Um, Patrick Bateman is so absurd. He's almost like a kind of um, American, obscenely rich David Brent or Alan Partridge. He's got no sense of <laughs> of, of himself. Um, and among all the madness, the book is filled with moments of comic gold. There's the business card scene. There's Patrick's despair when his brother manages to get a table at Dorcia. <laughs> There's a urinal cake scene, which is kind of mind-boggling and hilarious. <laughs> There's a scene where he goes to see you too, and one of his friends says, which one's the drummer? <laughs> While they're watching the band play. <laughs> There's the constant returning of videotapes. The scene, and the scene which really made me laugh, is where he calls all these college girls up and makes these horrible grunting pig-like noises on the phone. And one of them says, Dad, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> it's so awful, that it, but it just makes you really laugh. Um, and it's also fun to try and figure out if the whole thing is a fantasy or not, if the murders are all in Bateman's head. Uh, I think in the film they kind of made it much clearer that it was a fantasy. But it means that the reader does all the detective work. Mm. Um, and I think the main reason you should read American Psycho is that it makes you feel. You might be repulsed, you might want to burn it, but it will definitely make you react. And I think that's what good books should do. Wow. Fantastic. Oh. And he didn't mention the dry cleaning. That's what I always remember uh, from Americans. Yeah, He's yeah, always yeah. at the dry cleaners. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Having He's been really horrible yeah, to the dry cleaners. Yeah. And there's <laughs> only actually one scene of the dry cleaners in the oh, book. Really? So I reread it last week where he's got and. Because he's, he's, he's covered some, in blood, yeah. isn't it? Or the suit's covered in the, blood or something? It's his sheets, yeah. And, sheets, he, and it's yeah. got blood all over it. And and, it's, and um, he says it's a dove bar or something. Because one of his friends, <laughs> somebody he knows, dove comes bar. in. Yeah, they're always eating dove bars. I, don't, I think a dove bar is a kind of precursor to a magnum, is it? Yeah, I think it's something like that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I thought a dove yeah. bar was almost like um, a bounty. Oh. Right. I think it's a chocolate bar. Oh, it's not bar. ice cream, it's... Okay. Oh, maybe. Oh, I, I don't know. Don't, yeah. But that's but yeah, the least of that, his worries. It's in that uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. field. Um, wow. Fantastic. Both of those. Um, Louise, if I can come back to I Am Charlotte Simmons by Tom Wolfe, uh, a book I don't know, I have to say, and I'm desperate to read now that you've talked about oh, I'm it. I'm so pleased. Partly because I think, you know, you, you described it as a campus novel and I hadn't really thought about that, but I think I like campus novels mm. as well. I think I love that genre. Um, and the three men that you're saying, you know, represent different styles of, of 
people that go to these elitist and, and quite, you know, posh universities. The athletes as stars of the campus, for example, which I just think is, is, is a thing we see in those great American movies that we love. And the fact that you've sort of reread it so many times and want to re- read it again, mm. you know, that that is a sign of a book that you love, right? Because the, mm. there's, so, there's so little time for reading, let alone rereading, that that's a big... Yeah, I would say. I think. Well, I think in a Tom Wolfe novel, you always get almost like the meat of 10 novels by a ordinary mortal. Mm. He's just packing so many themes, so many questions, so much science, so much literature, so much about the human condition into one story. Yeah. And just doing it with this incredible energy and exuberance that, that you know, his writing is famous for. Mm-hmm. And just so, creating amazing characters yeah, as well. Absolutely. As and yeah, absolutely. And they re- the, the jocks are really, really funny. Yeah. And you can see how taken Tom Wolfe was with this whole idea of the special classes for these big athletic dopes, you know, the rocks mm. for jocks, and they their French is called um, Frère Jocko. <laughs> and they've just got their whole other language, and they're like simpletons. And it's just really, really mm. funny. Yeah, yeah. the language. I've read that book as well. Have you? I've read, yeah. yeah, I've read all of his novels. and And, yeah, the language, the energy... Um, is just incredible. I, I think Bonfire of the Vanities is my favourite mm, of his. It's wonderful. But it that's, it just kind yeah, of fizzes off the page, the words. Yeah. Um, didn't he win the Bad Sex Award for he that He did, book? yes. I didn't mention that in my pitch. I didn't Actually, well, I think it was... Not for the opening bit, was no, it? No, no, okay, no, 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 no. There's a scene when Charlotte does have sex for the first time oh, with right. one of the three men that I've mentioned. And Tom Wolfe writes it in this sort of really clinical way where he simply maps out what each body part is doing using the the Latin terms. Um, and so he, and he did win the Bad Sex Award, but I think that they completely missed the point. Yeah. That I think what he was saying was that she had built this up. Yes. Everyone else is casually having sex left, right and centre, including her hilarious roommate, Beverly. And when she finally does it, it couldn't have been more of an anticlimax. Right, yeah. On a recent uh, Book Off podcast with Daisy Johnson and Kieran Millwood Hargrave, uh, they were discussing um, Jeanette Winterson and how mm. amazing she is at writing sex. And we came up with the idea that we'll have a spin-off podcast called Battle of the Sexes, where two guests just <laughs> just talk about great sex scenes that they've uh, read. Yeah, well, that's a good idea. Great, as long as they don't have to talk about great sex An scenes ex. that they've written. No, no. That no, would, no that's be, a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> so um, I'm going to put you two down for that for another time. <laughs> okay. um, and then, Mark, if we could talk briefly about American Psycho. Now, I, I am a huge fan of American Psycho. Mm. I know that it is a very controversial controversial book and you know Brett Easton Ellis was over in the UK not that long ago for his yeah, non-fiction for White. book White um, and it sort of that meant the press you know got back into the whole American yeah. psycho debate again mm. and I do think there are um, that in some ways yes I think that looking at it now there are some controversial issues that yeah. perhaps they're right yeah, about and, that, yeah. and I get why people do really, really mm. sort of hate this book. Yeah. What you did in your pitch, which I think is why I love it, is is bring out all that that absolute humour, like the humour, but the also absurdity of the whole yeah. thing, yeah. which is, for me, what mm. meant I could read it, because the whole thing's batshit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. When I reread it, I've reread it a few times, and I always skip the graphic violence yeah. scenes. You yeah. can read it with it. I think the first time you read it, you need to read those to kind of really appreciate the, the full pick scope of what he was 
of what he was trying to do, which is to say that this is consumerism pushed to its absolute limit and where everything is about surface and image and people are just reduced, as in pornography, to, to their parts, their body mm-hmm. parts. And I actually think in some ways society's got worse since the 80s when he mm-hmm. wrote it yeah. with the kind of Instagram generation and and so on. But um, I, I, I would also, I think that those parts are deeply uncomfortable and horrible to read and they must have been very disturbing to write, I would imagine. I would think so, He yeah. said he wrote them at the end. Mm. But I think he was trying to say something important about the 80s and what was going on in, in culture in the 80s. And in fact, what he's done is create this kind of ultimate... We talk about toxic masculinity now and he's created the ultimate toxic male, this... Yeah. this, this um, and yet this he's monster. a hilarious metrosexual, isn't he, with his grooming uh, yeah, products? Yeah, I know, with this ridiculous homophobia where he's being chased around by uh, Lewis, who's in love with him. In fact, he thinks everyone's in love with him, his secretary, <laughs> for example. And um, and obviously, Bretton Ellis is gay himself. And so writing the the scenes where Patrick is seeming very homophobic, there's there's a... There's an irony in in there. I'm not sure whether he was out at the time, but he definitely is, is mm. now. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that um, there's this this line of thought that the killings are fantasy. Yeah. I had no idea. I, oh, I read really? it completely at face value. The savagery mm. I no, took to be completely real. In the film, well, Brett, Brett Easton Ellis is, is um, ambiguous about it, but the, the movie, they, they definitely come down on the side that it's all a fantasy. Yeah, they do, yeah. And in the book, all the stuff where... So he murders this guy called Paul Owen, and that's not a spoiler, because it doesn't really have a plot, this book. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all about lists, isn't it? Yeah, it's just lots of scenes, just interlinking scenes. And then people say that they've seen him in London, but then they all miss... None of them can remember each other's names, and they all get each other mixed up, so you don't know. It's really cleverly done, the mm. ambiguity of it. And then there's this absurd scene where he's being chased by the cops and there's a gunfight and that's clearly a fantasy because there's no way that could have really happened. No. And there's lo- and there's 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 lots of references in there. So the first chapter he describes it like um like like he says jump cut to and and fade out to like he's talking about mm. he's thinking about his mm. life like a film. Yeah. So there's loads of hints that it's all in his head. Um and his obsession with serial killers and the way he reads mm. all these books on them. So I, th- I think, personally, I think it is a fantasy that he doesn't actually do any of the violent stuff in the book, that he's just thinking, he's but fantasizing about it. it's just, it's just it. a, fa- a fantasy it's all from in his Patrick head. Bateman. Yeah. And maybe that makes it easier to accept. Mm. It makes it more palatable, it. but it also makes it more of a masterpiece. I mean, yeah. it is a masterpiece for yeah. sure. I do yeah. think that Charlotte Simmons is the mm. more entertaining read mm. and the one mm. that should win. But, <laughs> but American Psycho <laughs> is a masterpiece. I think sure. it is as well. Yeah, yeah. I think and that's, that's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. And, and one thing, well, two things I'll say about it before we, we, we sort of move on, but the copy that you've got there, I noticed, is a sort of, is it Picador classic version yeah. of it, yeah? yeah? Which has this introduction by Irvin Welsh. Yes. And I have to say that when I had read... American Psycho, I then read his introduction about it. Right. And it made things a lot clearer for me, mm. actually, his take on it and, yeah. and some of the things that you said, Mark, about the consumer culture and everything. Yeah. Um, so it's worth a read, you know, if, if 
people are listening who yeah. think, well, I did read American Psycho, but what, what was all that about? Actually, the, the Irvin Welsh introduction there is is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And after reading it, I went and um, bought Huey Lewis and the News album oh Sports. I because, do that. <laughs> because <laughs> That's talked, taking it too far. Yeah. Yeah. He talked about it so much as this amazing piece of pop. I thought, oh, I've got to check this one yeah. out anyway. Um, oh, that's pop. another hilarious bit. Yes, the I forgot music. to mention the yeah. music criticism. Yeah. Yeah. It's so... Oh, it's just and there's so music clever. also in, in Charlotte Simmons. And I think it's so interesting that they're both um, books with... with such scandal, you know, and terrible, terrible behaviour. And yet there's a case to suggest that both of them feel like innocent times mm. from today's perspective. And yeah, how weird, can that it? possibly be that you would think that there's something quite quaint about yeah. American Psycho and a John Wolfe novel? I know. Well, I mean, I I loved both of these pictures and I don't know which one to choose really because it's almost impossible the thing is i i am a because i'm a huge fan of um american psycho I, i'm worried about being biased and actually i do think the it, it is a controversial book i loved louise your description of the tom wolf and i definitely want to to read it now um and i would say i'm going to i'm going to take the tom wolf home i'm going to take i am charlotte simmons because yeah uh, not only was it was it a fantastic pitch and i just i love the way you ended it on the uh, on the best of winning <laughs> sex act <laughs> but also i think that a lot of people will have read american psycho yeah, and those yeah. that haven't mm. perhaps should or shouldn't and mm. you know it is uh it's such a weird and wonderful book yeah. and um i'd also recommend everyone well that's fair isn't it Mark? yeah that's fair. definitely i'm yeah. happy with that yeah but <laughs> it's so, i mean it's so funny when you start getting into books like this that there is so much to talk about mm. with both of these you know yeah uh, and i'm sure after i've read the tom wolf that um i'll have a, a million things to say about it as well but the mm. it's funny that american psycho has stayed with me since reading it you know in, in and yeah. you can remember all these little vignettes of it mm. i know and it's almost what is it the 21, wasn't it? I think 91 it was published. Oh, oh, was it 91? I thought it was 94. I think it was 1991 because he wrote it end of the 80s. Yeah. Um, So it's coming So almost 30 years. years. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Those People by Louise Candlish is published by Simon & Schuster and it's out now and Here to Stay by Mark Edwards is published by Thomas & Mercer and it's also available now. It's been lovely to see you both again and to talk about your books and thank you for bringing in two brilliant novels for the book off as well. Um, And best of luck with your next ones. I look forward to reading those and thank thank you you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you both. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 